Hello, and welcome to the 905-er. I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tana. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to uh, send out a friendly reminder to everyone listening to this podcast that you can support us through Patreon for only $5 per month. Uh, for that small fee, you'll be helping us produce this podcast and help us to keep telling you the stories that are important to the 905 region and help us keep going through 2021. That being said, this year has been incredibly difficult. As we come to the end of the year, it's far too easy for us to dwell on the hardships that we've all had to experience, and that has come to signify the year 2020. But while it is easy for us to do that in this time of year, Roland and I want to break the mold. And you know what? We can. It's our podcast. It's our rules. And so we've decided that for the month of December we are only going to be focusing on good news stories. Those are stories and anecdotes, and not all of them are timely, but something that we hope that will bring a smile to your face and help take your mind off the year that was 2020. So sit back and enjoy. So Roland, why don't you start us off? What do you have for us? (laughs) Well, I've got a couple of family stories, I guess, that are... um, they make me smile and they bring back memories of uh, my childhood and my father's childhood, I guess. Well, not really his childhood, but his young adulthood. And they kind of speak to me, I guess, as to what the Christmas holidays uh, kind of mean in a, in a very simple and not particularly enlightening way. But, you know, we all kind of create our own holidays and our own families. And these are the stories that got told in my family. So picture the scene. <laughs> To go back to the, the Golden Girls, <laughs> Sicily, 1920. No, it's actually uh, a town called Slough, which if you've ever watched the original version of The Office is where I grew up. Uh, it's not particularly, it's not a tourist destination anyway. And uh, my dad was just returning uh, from national service at the end of the war in 19, it's probably 1945, 1946, something like that. And it was Christmas. Obviously with the prodigal son coming back the search was on for a turkey during the rationing that was was still very much in place in in england at the time and uh, the way my dad told it his father was was instructed by my grandmother to to go out and be sure to find a turkey by hook or by crook which basically meant the black market i think is uh, is reading between the lines and my grandfather, being the kind of chap who spent a lot of time in the pub, uh, said, don't worry, no problem, there shall be turkey. And then on Christmas Eve, he finally comes back with the, with the promised turkey. And what he's actually got are two uh, emaciated chicken, with which are so pathetic that even the cat wouldn't look at them, which led to the expected kind of family domestic. And my dad in his later life actually wrote a kind of little biography. And this is, you can tell from this that he's just as pretentious with his words as I am. And he said that my mother was not pleased. She pointed out gently the inadequacy of the poultry. In towering rage, she indicated that my father's efforts did not meet her desideratum with regard to the fowls of the air, raised for the pleasure of four people wishing to adequately celebrate the meaning of the season. My father gulped, saw the error of of his ways, and retired to a very quiet corner. And my paternal grandmother was a woman of some, well, she was formidable and frankly terrifying, I remember, even when she was much uh, reduced in later years. So 
so the next day, my dad goes into the, the nearby town of Slough to see what can be found at a butcher's with a few hours to go before Christmas. And the only thing that was still there was a goose, which cost two pounds, which doesn't sound very much, but two pounds was two weeks' pay for someone, uh, for someone doing national service at the time. So he invested his two pounds sterling in this goose, and uh, which really does sort of have the sort of uh, air of Tiny Tim and Ebenezer Scrooge about it. Took home this this goose, and only to find that his father had come back from the pub half cut three sheets to the wind with an eight pound turkey as well <laughs> so they ended up having the most well-fed christmas during the rationing that that was quite possible so that was one of my dad's favorite stories and he certainly uh, every future year tried to get us to replace the turkey with a goose because uh, so he could sort of revisit that moment but i'm not sure he ever <laughs> he ever got I, lucky <laughs> i always wondered where the tradition of goose for christmas always came from for me it was always a turkey I've heard about goose, and I've, I've always kind of pictured like Dickensian Industrial Revolution, like the, the Christmas Carol kind of period of Christmas, where goose was, I guess, was much more common. But I, you don't hear of goose too much. Yeah, I mean, I think it had already fallen out of favor in England, obviously, by this time. I think a goose was unusual. Uh, but you don't get turkeys in Europe. It's probably as simple as that, that until turkeys started being imported to Europe and bred on a major scale... Uh, goose was the biggest farm animal, not farm animal, but the biggest bird <laughs> uh, that you could hope to feed a family on with goose. See, when I, when I think of goose, I think of memories of going to class at the University of Waterloo. And whenever you'd walk by the Arts Common, there's a good chance you get attacked by a goose trying to protect their nest because <laughs> they would nest nearby. And the thing is, you'd never see it coming. You'd be walking to class, headphones on, off in your own little world, and all of a sudden you just catch this flapping of wings out of the corner of your eyes. And if you weren't aware, uh, there were stories of people being knocked down and attacked by geese. Uh, when I think of geese, that's the first thing that pops into my head. And you don't realize how big they are until you get really close to one. Oh, no, they're terrifying. <laughs> but now that I think about it, I'm like, that that probably actually would make a really good Christmas meal. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that, that, was, that was his story. But I've got another one, if you want, from my own childhood. But you can... Uh, do you want to... Yeah, well, to I, a story of your own first. I was I was curious when I we started to do this. Uh, initially, kind of generated a, an idea that we were, we were going to look at try and find good news stories uh, in the nine hundred five. And mostly, when you type in news in nine hundred five, it's usually about COVID numbers. We said nope, not doing that. But I did do a bit of research, and I'm sure there are a few listeners who are familiar with the Hallmark Christmas movie industry. You know, the, the one Christmas movie about the the single woman who's a busy workaholic lawyer slash entrepreneur slash artist who's just too busy for Christmas spirit and yet finds herself having to move back home to her childhood home to fix her family's diner slash bed and breakfast slash old homestead slash Christmas tree lot. And then along the way across the path to a single dad slash carpenter slash soup kitchen volunteer slash fill in generic good deed doer and then finds the true meaning of Christmas and gives up on her hopes and dreams to move back home and settle down after only meeting this guy for a couple of days. And there's a whole industry on these movies, um, and I found out that most of them are made here in the 905. Apparently, Newmarket is the backdrop for a large number of these movies, uh, as well as Dundas, Ontario, nearby Hamilton, and that apparently the 905 serves as a great niche Christmas movie backdrop market, which is something I didn't, I didn't know. 
I guess we can bring the snow, and Dundas certainly brings a historical uh, aspect. I, I'm not familiar with Newmarket. Is it got a kind of like old old school downtown? It, it does. I mean, it's, it, Newmarket is a nice. I think a really nice community. I've been there a few times. I don't, I don't know it intimately as well as I might other places, but from what I do recall, it was it's a very nice kind of a, a small town vibe to it. So I can see I can see the setting would make sense there. What I find interesting though is that it's just like the go-to, like there's an actual industry of Christmas movies that has kind of popped up there. And then, you know, good, good for the good people of Newark. And I mean, if you got, yeah. you've got to find a niche, a niche market to capitalize on, that's the one to go for. Uh, Absolutely. But I, I mean, I also find that it's not just Newmarket, but and, and Dundas, but it's it, that's that my news uh, kind of started by uh, discovering that you know the the Christmas classic, a Christmas story, which I'm sure all of our listeners are aware of, with Ralphie going for the uh, the red carbine action 200 shot range air model rifle with compass in the stock, and that thing that tells time. Everybody knows that movie. Everybody loves that movie, but what I don't think people know is that a good chunk of that movie was filmed here in the 905, more specifically in St. Catharines. Victoria Public School in St. Catharines uh, served as the site for all of Ralphie's adventures in the school parts of the film. So I, immediately everybody should be thinking of the of the uh, the double dog dare of looking <laughs> the the, uh, the pole of the aluminum pole covered in ice in the playground. And that scene took place in St. Catharines, another another claim to infamy. Now, I believe that the school has been repurposed since then into a woman's shelter, which is why I'm not going to go and, and look for the, the address necessarily. But, you know, it's it's one of those things of next time we watch it this season, you know, that's here in the 905. That's, uh, that's kind of amazing. And uh, I really love that film. And I I sort of came to it as probably unusually as, as an adult because it doesn't exist in Britain. It's not a tradition that exists uh, to watch that particular film. But it was introduced to me when, when I emigrated. And uh, it really, okay, it sums up something. You know, I think every nation, every continent has its kind of, own magic of Christmas, if you like, and, and those old films really have that. Plus, it's really funny with the. I just remember the uh, the kid <laughs> saying fudge, and it didn't say fudge. <laughs> I, I, find, I find it's, it's a funnier movie as I get older because I think part of the, the charm of the film is like you, you look back on it through kind of like, you look back on like Christmas with rose colored glasses. It's sad as I get older. I find myself uh, empathizing a lot more with the dad. <laughs> than the kid I get what he's going through I get it I actually met someone I'm trying to remember where this was a couple of years ago who had that light you know the leg with the lampshade yeah. on the top <laughs> it, it's I'm sure someone started making them but yeah. it's funny enough um, apparently they, they made them into night lights and I know this because my brother and sister-in-law they gave it to us for one year as a gag oh, gift for, uh, for Christmas and I was like oh you open up that box and it was the exact same reaction <laughs> in the movie like I don't think there's another reaction to it <laughs> Well, do you have to hit your central heating with a hammer, or, or is it more reliable than that? <laughs> oh, thank God, it's more reliable than that. Good thing that technology has progressed quite a long way since then, thank God. Yeah. Well, I guess the only other story I really have is from my own childhood, when my sister was in uh, what's called the sixth form, which I guess is the last couple of years of high school, um, when you're doing 
just before either you leave school or you go to university. And the school she was at had, it was actually a convent school, uh, and they would have students stay with them, with the nuns from overseas, uh, specifically from Japan. And a friend my sister made was one of the Japanese students who was staying at the convent and suddenly realized that she was going to be kind of stuck with the nuns for Christmas, which didn't look like a particularly exciting prospect. So um, my dad, of all people, who was not the most extrovert type, decided to uh, invite this Japanese girl over for Christmas Day. And it was like, uh, uh, you know, as someone who was... Yeah, those days, sort of pre-internet, pre-an awful lot of things, um, it really was someone's first introduction to a kind of European family's way of life. And certainly from our perspective, I think like a lot of families, Christmas Day is kind of like a very, kind of a private thing. It's family and nobody but family. I mean, not everybody's like that, but I don't know. Maybe we were just antisocial, I don't know. So it was kind of weird to have someone come, like have a guest on Christmas Day. And um, but a Japanese girl called Kimiko uh, visited, and it was just there's no real um, punchline to the story. It was just a really, really good day. Um, Kimiko, having good manners, had brought a gift for our family and for the father of the house in particular. And uh, us being rude English people had not thought to get something for her. <laughs> so my, my dad, having received something, had to dash upstairs and... and uh, Hopefully she won't listen to this. <laughs> Probably still thinks it was a specially bought gift. Uh, grabbed a kind of leather-bound copy of, I think it was Winnie the Pooh or something like that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That he had. Uh, and gave it to her, which seemed very sweet and it was completely done in a panic. But despite that, it was a, a really kind of, I remember it very vividly. It was a great day and, and kind of, you know, in those days you didn't meet people from other countries that much. So to have someone from Japan was kind of awesome. I think it was... The same in reverse, and we, I mean, I'm still in touch with through the wonders of Facebook with that person today, and neither of us can believe that we are no longer so young. <laughs> oh, that's such is life, I guess. I, I keep thinking, like, what this year's Christmas is going to look like. We're still trying to figure out the the reality is we're trying to figure out how we're going to see friends and family. For my family, Christmas has turned into quite the hustle and bustle. Uh, usually, it's you know now it's wake up kids go down and see what Santa's brought them. Once we open all that up, my wife and I chug back a cup of coffee each. We get changed, showered, get in the car, and we book it down to my in-laws for a Christmas dinner promptly at noon. And we have dinner with her entire, her side of the family. And that's, uh, you know, I think actually that's how I met most of the, her side of the family years, many years ago. So it's a, it's a personal tradition, but you know, that's not going to be the case this year. And, um, I think that's not going to be the case for a lot of, a lot of families. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, you, you kind of have to look down for what's most important to all, all of us. And you, you, I think when it comes down to it, it's like you kind of realize it's not the Charlie Brown as this might seem. It's not the, the presence and the trees and the, and the, and the food and everything is the fact that this year we're not going to see quite so many faces around the uh, the dinner table. Or we're going to have a, see a few too many on FaceTime and Skype chats this year. But, you know, this is temporary and it, it will pass and we'll be back to it next year, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully this is one of those things that, you know, maybe out of this will come some stories that children in future years will tell. And remember that weird year where we didn't see anybody. Um 
you know, thank goodness we have Zoom. Uh, I guess it's so easy to focus on the negative. If this had happened 20 years ago, it would have been a different thing, you know? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, we have the technology kind of make Christmas salvageable. And, I mean, it's just you have to kind of look for the positives where you can and reach out. And this is a perfect time just to get in touch with somebody that maybe you haven't talked to in a while. See how they're doing. How's their 2020 been? And see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. I think for many people in our generation, the kind of Christmas card writing routine is is not what it used to be. No. And it kind of used to force you to do that annual touching base with friends who you maybe don't speak to that often, but who still mean a lot to you. Yeah, maybe this is the year we send some more cards. Or if we don't send cards, send a few extra emails to, to people we haven't spoken to for a while. And uh, I know probably particularly people who are older, more elderly friends and uh, things like that probably particularly would appreciate that, mm -hmm. people reaching out to them. Well, that's, that's kind of one of the things that we want to do for the month of December is we have a couple of stories, not to, to give anything away. We have a couple of good news stories that we thought we'd bring to kind of show that people are still doing good things in this year. Um, it's not all bad news. We're going to touch base with a few other stories that we, like, that we want to share and, and just kind of personal anecdotes i personally would love to hear from our listeners any ways that they're going to be changing their christmas customs and traditions even if it's just you're going through zoom or you're going to uh maybe take an extra walk outside hopefully uh during the christmas holidays or maybe you're just going to catch up on a number of books that you've been putting off for the year uh i'd, I'd love to hear it just because i think yeah I think me the one, too the one thing that i think we've learned this year is how a resilient we are as a people as a species and two we can adapt to just about anything you know when we put our mind to it i think for the most part we are good compassionate people i remember when this thing first started everybody thought oh my god it's going to be the end of civilization we're all going to descend into anarchy and start <laughs> roaming the streets and yeah that, that didn't happen we we came together you no know? the idea of just wear a mask and look after each other kind of became the mantra of 2020 and i'm curious to see how that spirit kind of carries on into the holiday season to make this one a more unique christmas yeah yeah let's try and do it the longer it goes on the tougher it is to have that kind of um uh well, well, well again sorry here's my british heritage coming out again but that kind of dunkirk spirit as it gets called over there it gets tougher but it's there because we choose for it to be there and i don't know i have a, another completely dumb story nothing to do with christmas <laughs> but it's an author whose name i can't remember famous author of the 1940s or something like that and he decided at some point in his life that he couldn't be bothered walking into the letterbox to do his letters so he would every day open his window and throw the letters out of the window onto the sidewalk and in the next 40 years of his life or whatever a letter was never not delivered because someone would always walk by pick it up notice it and put it in the letterbox for him <laughs> and uh that says something pretty good i don't know i think you know that's when i'm feeling crappy that's the story i go for <laughs> well, it's a good one i'll say i'll give you that um, well, I think that's going to be it for this week. We're not going to take up too much of your time, folks. But, you know, we hope that you look out for each other in the month ahead. Uh, help out where you can and let us know how you're doing and, and maybe, you know, what you're doing at home and what stories you, uh, you're you focusing on to get you through the season. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. That's it for this episode of The 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, 
info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. This is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.